God, we come to you today, and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, for your instruction. We thank you again that you are our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray as we consider your words today and their implications that we would have an understanding of you as Father, that we would under, have an understanding of our own fathers, that we would have a, an understanding of what it is to be a father for those who are. Lord, we ask that you would just use your spirit to work among us and draw us close to you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, David and Goliath. It's such a well-known phrase, such a well-known story, uh, that even folks who don't know the Bible at all know about David versus Goliath battles. We see it all the time uh, when maybe a big corporation is Someone's going up against them, and they're just a little bitty something, a little bitty person or small group, and someone's, oh, that's a David versus Goliath, or when one school's really small, whatever. David and Goliath, I mean, it's, you know, those of us who grew up in church, we, we saw, you know, posters, some of us saw flannel graphs, if you know what that is, you're a certain age, but, you know, we, we have these memories in our minds of of these stories of David and Goliath. And I'm going to tell you, as a young boy, there were, there were definitely a lot of things that went over my head or made me a little sleepy. But when the David and Goliath Sunday came up, man, I was wide awake because soldiers and swords and giants and armies, all this kind of stuff. And so it's a story that we think about a lot. Goliath had, uh, he'd come out of the camp of the Philistines. The part we didn't read tells us that these two armies were facing one another, and they had come, and they'd each set up camp on opposing mountains, and there was this big valley in between them. And Goliath walks on out from the Philistines, and he yells with this huge voice. By the way, the best uh, conversion rate we have from their old cubits things, I mean, he was probably about nine feet, nine inches tall. I mean, we look at seven-footers in the NBA and say they're giants. This guy was another two and a half feet higher. And, and it's, it, the Bible, you know, I love the specificity it gives sometimes. It gives out measurements of how much his, his sword weighed and his shield and all this and that. I mean, you can look it all up. And it goes to great lengths to say this guy, when they say giant, it wasn't figurative language. It wasn't like, oh, he's a little bit bigger than the rest of us. He was humongous. And he walks out and he says, hey, I'm a reasonable guy. There's no need for us to go to war and all of these different soldiers fight one another. I'll make you a deal, a fair deal. One-on-one, -on -one, single combat to the death. You send anybody you want out of all of Israel down to fight me. If I win, you guys are our servants. But if you win and kill me, hey, we'll be your servants. That's really fair, right? Come on, unless you are some chicken-livered coward. I mean, come on, send just one man. One of you guys has to have guts enough to take me up on this challenge. 
Well, apparently, uh, they kind of quaked in their boots. Nobody put their hand up. This army, they're like a lot of people in the army. They had learned not to volunteer. Nobody volunteered. Nobody came down and said, I'll fight Goliath. And so he kind of started making a habit, a pattern of this every day, maybe even every few hours. I don't know for sure, but the Bible makes clear that he repeated this challenge. He wasn't letting them off the hook like we're going to forget about it. Constantly, at least every day, he would come down and yell out the same challenge, and constantly, it was crickets. I mean, there was silent. Nobody was saying, hey, I'm going to do this. While this is going on, David, who had eight brothers, eight brothers, all right, his three oldest brothers were there, and they were fighting in the army. And so uh, he, his dad kind of sent him as a gopher, basically, okay? It's like you know, the, you're, you, the really big boys, they're off fighting. But, you know, David, I want to send them a little care pie package, you know, kind of like we, we like to do for folks who are off in college or off in the service somewhere. We send them a nice little care package. Well, that's basically what uh, Jesse David's father said, hey, send these boys some, some good stuff. I want you to take it with him. And so he gets there, and all of a sudden, as he's there to deliver the care package, he hears all this hubbub about Goliath and what he's saying. And, and he actually happens to come out at the same time that Goliath is repeating this challenge. And at this point, Goliath's probably like, hey, this is getting old, guys, but I'm going to tell you again. I mean, could you just go ahead and surrender? If you're not going to go ahead and send someone out to fight me, and, and he's vile, he, he's cutting down Israel, he's cursing their God, he's doing all this stuff. And David hears this and he said, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe that this is going on. Is nobody going to do anything about this? And, and he determines in his heart that God wants him to face this challenge. And the, the question is then, how does he get to do that? You know, he just can't go exactly just say, I'd like to request a meeting with Saul. I know I'm like 16, 17, but hey, I'm an important guy and God's calling me. He couldn't just do that. So David, he hears this news. He talks to one guy. and says, I can't believe nobody's doing anything about that. We need to do something about it. And he turns to another guy and he asks him a question. Now, what was, what was the deal about this Goliath guy? And the next person repeats the story, and he says, I can't believe it. We need to take care of that. And before long, news of this cocky young kid came around to Saul. And Saul called him, you, you think you can do something about this? Yeah, yeah. Because Saul looked at him and was like, come on. You're just a kid. I mean, they told me you were just a kid, but I heard you were talking big, and, you know, I thought I'd look at you, and, but you're just a kid. And David said, you know what? I may just be just a kid, just a shepherd, but when the lion came along, I took care of him. I went and brought that sheep back. When the bear came along, I went and got that sheep back. I didn't let anybody take my sheep, and I'm not going to let my God and my nation be harmed, be disrespected. So I was like, okay then. We'll give you a shot. In fact, we'll give you the very best shot that you can have. We're going to give you the king's armor. Now, how do you say no to the king's armor? It's the very best. It's the very finest. It is the ultimate craftsmanship that, that anyone in that nation could afford, the king's armor. 
And he puts it on, and, you know, he's like little, little boy, Tommy, Bobby, whoever you, walking around in dad's boots, you know. <laughs> it just covers him over, and he, he says, no, I, I really can't, I'm not used to this. Thanks, but no thanks. And he gives the armor back, and the Bible says he grabs five smooth stones from the stream, and he runs out. He meets him in battle. He meets him across the way. They're still kind of at this distance. So I guess they're kind of hollering, hey, Goliath, I'm coming for you. And, and Goliath is, he's kind of one of those, you know, half laughing, half shouting, angry. He's like, what do you think I am, some little dog? You know, you can just throw sticks at me and run me off. You've sent out the puniest guy. I know you've got bigger guys out there. Surely. But he says, um, he cusses a bunch more by his Philistine gods. And, and they start approaching each other. And the Bible says that David ran toward him. He didn't, he didn't just stand. He didn't slowly walk. He ran toward him. And we know that he took that sling and that stone and he cast it. One shot. There it was. He was, he was down. And ultimately, he ends Goliath's life. He takes his own sword and kills him with it. And... and the rest of the story is all of a sudden the Philistines that had been so big and bad and just expecting they were going to win it all, they turn in fear and terror and Israel takes the day. Well, like I said before, kind of fleshing out that story, we, uh, we all know that giants, as we, as we take them from this story, that they come in a lot of forms. And today being Father's Day, I want us to talk about giants that fathers face. Now, here's what I want to say. If you're not a dad, don't tune out. Because a lot of this, almost all of it, is going to relate to you, whether you're young, old, male, female, doesn't matter. Almost all this is going to relate to everybody, even though we're saying it specifically for dads. But I want us to talk about three giants that every dad must face. The first one is your father. Every dad must face your own father. You must come to grips with this person in your life who was this thing that you're trying to be as a dad. He was that to you. And let me say, by the way, this is why it's not just for dads, just for fathers. All of us have to come to grips with our parents and who they were and how they raised us. It's a very important part of, of us growing up, us maturing, us developing in life is understanding and thinking about and figuring out how we relate to those who came before us. It's very interesting that we live in a world that would like to do away with dads. Constantly, there's out there those attacking the need for dads and, and just basically say, you know, hey, any kind of family structure is fine. You know, there's really no need for a dad. Just do whatever. And then on the other hand, much of our society, besides those who don't want to just say dads are optional, they want to say, well, dads are just kind of clumsy, bungling, falling, tripping over all the time kind of, you know, they're, they're there. They're just comic relief. And you watch almost any uh, TV show made in the last 20 or 30 years, and if it's about a family, 90% of the time, the dad is not going to be a strong, loving leader for a family. The dad is the punchline. 
The dad is the one who goofs up and messes up and, you know, wise mom comes in and saves the day. Well, thank God there are wise moms, but there's wise dads too. Our culture has done everything it can to put dads either out of the spotlight or put them in the spotlight as idiots, basically. But you know what? Dads matter. In fact, even secular scholarship that has nothing to do with the Bible or Christianity over and over and over. I just read one of the latest reports in USA Today, I think it was a few days ago, talking about the essential nature of dads across the board. And they controlled for factors uh, like poverty, you know, rich or, or poor or whatever. They controlled for factors like race and culture and all these other factors. They counted all that in where it wouldn't mess up or sway the results. And guess what? It came out. It didn't matter if you, how rich or poor you were. It, it didn't matter whether, uh, what your race was, what your region was. Those folks who had a dad in their home, that they, there was such a more, a higher percentage of a likely result coming out. Now, I don't say that to discourage those of you who aren't in ideal situations. We know that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy, and we know that God has blessed a lot of single moms. We know that God has blessed a lot of blended families. We know that God's grace can overcome the heartaches and the mess-ups of life and can do awesome things through it. And that's, we got to claim that grace. But that should not make us say, look, we need to see what the facts are is that God designed the family his way, and it's really important. Dads make a difference. We have to come to grips with our dads, men especially, because not only is the effect of a dad, the influence, uh, the time spent or the time absent, very important for how both boys and girls see themselves. But guys, we especially, as we begin to be, become fathers, we relate back to what did our father do? And we have to take a reckoning of that. Do you know that, it's, that, that sometimes we want to be on a pendulum swing one way or the other? That is, if our dads have disappointed us, we want to just be like, nope, that's it. It's over. They're horrible, terrible. I don't want to have anything to do with them. But then on the other hand, there's a, there's a large part of a lot of us that, you know, sometimes it's hard for even to us to admit what our dads did wrong because we don't want to dishonor them or disgrace them. You know, one, one of the interesting things when Denise was working at Palmer Home that I often noticed that, um, you know, these kids who went through terrible situations in certain parts of their home life, and they might get out, and you know that oftentimes they go right back to mom and dad, and even though they were mistreated, even though they were in a tough situation, so often that draw, because the influence of our parents is so great on us. The influence of a father on a daughter has so much to do with how she sees men and, and, and what she's going to look for and what she's going to expect and what she's going to put up with when she begins dating and ultimately marries. 
and for us who become fathers, we have to deal with the fact that our fathers weren't perfect. They're, most of our dads are not on one of these ends. And sometimes some of us get a, a mother or a father who's, not, who's really, really, really not all that good. And that's awful. But again, God's grace is there. But the reality is a lot of us have the parents that are kind of somewhere in between. They got some good things. They got some bad things. And, and we have to deal with and process. What did dad say? And what, do we, and what did dad do? And how do we judge those things? Do we judge it by, well, does it line up with all the other of my generations? You know, what grandpa did and what uncle did and cousin did. No, we don't judge it by that. And we don't judge our father's behavior in terms of, um, by the way, when I say judge it, I mean for, for us to analyze in our own fatherhood. God is their judge, just like he'll be our judge. But we also don't judge it by what modern standards are, what the latest cultural things are. Like everything else in life, we're to judge that example that has been set before us by God's word and what he has told us to do. And so if there's things that dad said that were great and honorable and wonderful and they line up with God's word, then yes, we repeat those. And if there's places where we realized, hey, you know, what dad did, I love him. I want to honor him. But what dad did didn't exactly line up with what God said then in those places we have to say the best way that I can honor my father, because while children are to obey the Lord, of all ages, we're all to obey our, excuse me, we're all to honor our mother and father. And that command does not stop until the day you die. We are always to honor them. But sometimes the best way that we honor our parents, our mothers and our fathers, is to say, you know what? I'm gonna honor them by doing what's right even if it's a little bit different than what mom and dad did. So we have to deal, we have to face the giant of our own father because they're so big in our lives. The second one we have to face is the giant of being a father. There is nothing more intimidating than a newborn being thrust at you. I mean, even before, I remember they said, would you like to cut the cord? And they gave me a sharp instrument. And I, I'm here. I'm relatively close to, to my brand new baby boy. And I have a sharp object. I'm not sure if this is that wise, you know. And, and it's so interesting because, guys, so many of us, we want to do things that we're good at. Honestly, a lot of us in life, we choose to do the things we know succeed in, that we're, it's like a sure thing. I've got that skill. I've got that ability. I've got that talent. And, and other things that we're not so good at, well, I'm, I'm just not going to try that. But the thing is, when it comes to being a dad, we're all rookies at the beginning. None of us start off with a full instruction manual, with a PhD in parenting. We don't have that. And so us same guys that if you threw us a ball at 90 miles an hour where we could catch it in our glove. If you slowly hand us a baby, we're like, oh, you know, the, the ball we can do anything with. The baby we're scared to death of. And often our society and our culture doesn't put the right aspects and importance on fatherhood. And, and it's 
Men are taught to be, you know, tough and rough, and men aren't taught to be strong but yet gentle. Men are not taught to be compassionate. Men are not taught so often to be involved in their children's lives. And this is a huge thing. And it's, it's so funny that even, even if we've been disappointed in our own dads about something, before you know it, we can do that same thing. We can be that same way just because we don't know what to do. And without knowing what to do, we can fall in line with what we saw. Sometimes what some of us have seen is a great example. Some of it, sometimes it's a lesser example, but none of us saw a perfect example. Our only perfect example is here in God's word. But we have to look back and realize how powerful our dad's words and actions were in our life. So we'll know that how much effect we're having, how seriously we should take it. And instead of skipping out on being a father, being a nominal father, being I'll let mom do it because girls, women, they're better with babies. Instead of saying that kind of nonsense, we, we better learn. We better work. We better get better at it. Because that impact of a father is so much. You know, I know folks that are trying to, to please their father and their father's long gone. But they're still trying to live up to some standard or something. It's funny how kids want to do that. And when, You know, when I say, when I talked about this is for all of us, again, God has for us, even those of us who aren't actual biological parents or never completely raise a child, I think that God has put within us men to be mentors and fathers, women to be mentors and fathers. You know, uh, Paul talks about older women teaching younger women, older men teaching younger men. Constantly that is taught uh, that there, is, there should be a thing that we should help and we should teach and we should mentor and we should guide those who come after us. You guys know that um, Caleb and Marin have been serving at a camp this summer. And uh, it's Camp Victory. And I was talking to Caleb about how things have gone. He's been, he's been two weeks into the thing. And the first week, it was really bad. I mean, it was just, he, he, had, some, he had some rough kids. Now, I hope I don't get him in trouble by saying this, but somebody who'd had those kids a previous year kind of said something like they, uh, that, that they might be the twins of the Antichrist or something. I don't know. It was, it was not good. Apparently, these boys were, they were kind of tough, but... Uh, he didn't say that, if anyone's listening, camp director. Um, but, uh, you know, it was kind of rough, and, and, and he didn't know what to do yet. And, uh, and I asked him this week, how was it? He said, well, I had better kids, but, but I knew what I was doing a little better. He said, I started off that first week a little too nice, a little, a little too friendly, a little too soft. He said, start off that second week, I laid down the law on those boys. Put that fear in them, you know, and, and hey, the whole week kind of worked out a little better. And, and we learned. And I asked him, like, how were the weeks? And he said, well, the first week with some younger kids, he said, it was almost like I was their parent. He said, last week, you know, it was a little different, and, and, and I was more like a friendly uncle uh, or, or something like that to him. 
But it, it was interesting how these kids wanted to please and do well. And they had a thing at camp uh, called Honor Cabin that they all worked for to have Honor Cabin. And so Honor Cabin had some things that, of course, that the camp wanted to emphasize. Honor Cabin had to do with inspection of their cabin, how clean it was. Uh, it had to do with how they did in the group games and sports. It had to do with uh, it had its Christian camp, so it had to do with uh, were they learning their Bible verses and all this kind of stuff. And it was a big, huge competition. <laughs> and so he was telling me that this second week that he had won Honor Cabin. And I was like, oh, that's so great, you know. And, and, and he was proud that his boys had kind of stepped up. He'd given them a talk at the beginning of the week, kind of laid that vision out there. You know, guys, we can be Honor Cabin. If you are, do what you need to do, if you work with me, we can be Honor Cabin. And those kids just exploded into, you know, uh, shouts and everything when they got Honor Cabin at the end of the week. But he told me how hard these kids work for Honor Cabin. He said, not at his table, but one maybe like one or two down or something. One of the things they judged I didn't mention was how clean at the lunchtime, how clean their table was. He said, this one kid got into it so much. He said, this napkin looks really messy on my plate. And this kid sat there and ate and swallowed his entire napkin because he was so wanting to please his camp counselor and so wanting to, uh, I'm just going to assume the camp counselor didn't notice that until it was all kind of done, right? But isn't that something, the links that kids will go through to impress a teacher? teacher or coach or parent to, to, to win praise. And so we have to kind of come to grips with this whole thing of being a, a parent, being a leader of children, of younger ones. And, and, and we have to say, fathers, dads, we have to say, what I do, what my kids will do to please me, or if they know they can't please me, what they'll do wrong to get my attention. Kids will go great lengths to get attention, positive or negative. And we have to come to the face of the fact that us being a father, it's a giant, but it's a giant that we can face. Not on our own, though. And that brings us to the final giant that we face as dads, and that's our Heavenly Father. Just as we have to come to grips with our earthly dads, and we have to come to grips with this challenge of how enormous it is and what, what influence we wield, even though we're not experts and nowhere close at what we're doing. The thing that we have as believers is the fact that, hey, we didn't have that perfect earthly example, but we got a perfect heavenly father. And we've got a love letter that he's written to us to tell us how we are to be, how we are to behave, how we are to love, how we are to sacrifice, how we are to defend, how we are to uphold, how we are to unite. All of these things that God has called us to do. But first, we've got to accept, accept him. You're the boss. I have my father that I love, honor, and respect. But you're the heavenly father. That was his father. That's everybody's father. You're the one in control. And God, I have to admit that I am so, 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 so inadequate for this job. And yet, it's really not a choice. 
There's not a responsible choice about the matter. The only responsible choice is to go for it. When we feel weak, when we feel under-equipped, we say, God, you have the strength, you have the wisdom, you have the power. And so while our children are looking to us for strength and wisdom, we turn right around. And dads, we look at our Heavenly Father for strength and wisdom. So we don't sit here and fake it and act like we know everything. We simply look to our Father as they look to us. Dads are giants. We have to come to grips as adults with our own fathers. You know, I'm just now at this, quote, empty nest stage. It's very interesting, you know, your, your view of parenting, your view of fathering, it changes along the way. I remember when I was 21, 22, knew it all, you know, y'all ever been at that stage of life, you knew it all, and I thought, you know, my parents would call, and I'm like, what are y'all doing? I'm grown. You know, I am grown. I mean, don't you know your job is done? I mean, take, relax, take a breath, chill out. I'm an adult. Oh, how the perspective changes. Uh, we are different ways of parenting as our children get older. But our job's not done as long as we're here. In fact, now that it's been five years since my dad's passed. Do you know that I hear his words and I think of them and I'm reminded of what he could do? Sometimes I go to pick up the phone for a second before I remember I can't. But even though I can't call him, the life he lived, the words he spoke, the example he left, it's there, and it's just as strong. It's actually stronger. I don't know how that is. But five years after he's gone, I think of what dad would have done far more than I would have 10 years ago. And so, men, your legacy will live on, not just through your life, but beyond it. God has called you to have the courage and the strength to face the giants. And not to fake it, but to go at it confidently because your heavenly Father has all the wisdom and all the strength and all the power that you need to take down those giants that you're going to face in life. Pray with me. God, you're here with us. And Lord, so many of us have been blessed with great moms and dads. Maybe, maybe some of us had at least one great parent. Maybe a few of us didn't have either, but we had others who stood in the gap for us, a grandma or a grandpa or, or an uncle or a mentor or somebody Somebody who's shown us love and care, and it's been just a reflection of your love and care for us. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that it's our job, whoever we are, whatever our age is, whatever our family looks like, God, it's, it's our job to bless the younger generation. It's the job of the youth that are in this place and college students uh, to bless the children. It's the job of the young adults to bless their children, but also uh, those a little bit younger than them, maybe the youth. It's the job of us that, who are middle-aged to bless and help and mentor those who are a few years younger. And God, of course, those you've blessed with long life, it is, it is our job to take what you've given through many years of life and to turn that grace and that blessing around and to mentor and love and, and touch others. Father, help us to embrace that. Help us, especially as dads, to turn away from the cultural stereotypes that tell us that dads aren't needed, dads aren't relevant, or, relevant, or dads are just a joke. Help us to reject that and to realize that you as Heavenly Father have given us an enormous blessing and responsibility as we lead the next generation to you. May we always trust in you and your strength. God, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.